Now back to the Tribune's Rick Pearson. It's the Sunday Spin on 720 WGN. Good Sunday morning. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson from the Chicago Tribune here in the WGN Skyline studio. Joining me in studio is State Senator Christina Castro, Democrat from Elgin, and State Representative Ann Williams, Democrat from Chicago. They are respectively the Senate and House sponsors of what's known as the Clean Energy Jobs Act. This was not an act yet because the legislature did not take up the issue uh, during the fall veto session. But that hasn't stopped the work to get this uh, get this going. Uh, Senator, maybe you could start out first and just give us the overview here of what is this bill. So the Clean Energy Jobs Act really encompasses a lot of different things. One, it, it, it tries to get us to... Um, zero percent to by 2050 um as far as uh emissions as well as you're talking about equity and jobs you know we have a lot of um communities of color and being a woman of color who don't have an opportunity to not only partake in renewable energy whether it's for their own homes to be entrepreneurs in this industry and also to train jobs so one of the things that when you look at when you look at climate change and the environment, it pretty much hurts our communities the most. Uh, and a lot of folks just don't understand how their environment impacts them. Um, so that's a couple of the little bit of the tidbits that we're working on. Um, and, you know, we're you know trying to address a lot of different things, too. You know, you have a lot of communities downstate when you're talking about nuclear plants that are about to close. We have to start looking at how we're going to train that workforce. Well, plus uh, you have the, the issue of coal and, and those communities that have been just going through wrenching time periods, Representative. Yeah, you're right, Rick. Uh, we've had we've seen four uh, coal plant closures in Illinois within the past six months. And these are closures that have been driven by market forces. It's not even about our push to renewables. So uh, what Christina's point is, is that while these coal plants close, they leave in their wake not only devastation in terms of economics for the communities where they're located, they also leave literally piles of uh, waste, coal ash specifically, that has to be addressed. So what we're trying to do in the Clean Energy Jobs Act is prepare for these closures, do them responsibly, and ensure that the communities where they are left are not left behind. Now, obviously, there has been uh, some issues involving Commonwealth Edison and federal investigation, including uh, involving members of the General Assembly, which kind of made this a no one wanted to touch it with a 10-foot pole kind of issue but there are some important timing issues coming up i mean i guess the trump administration is is looking at how capacity market capacity uh funding issues are done and and we're we could get slammed you're absolutely right one of our primary roles as state legislators uh, seems to have been uh, evolving to become fighting back against some of the dangerous policies of the Trump administration. And nowhere is that more clear than the issue of energy. 
uh, right now there's a real sense of urgency in Illinois to move forward with this bill because what's happening on the federal level, as you outlined, is the Trump administration is subsidizing fossil fuels to an enormous degree, penalizing states like Illinois that want to move forward with renewable energy development. So one of the things our bill would do would be to reframe how energy is procured in Illinois so we can favor renewable and clean energy sources. And how do we do that? I think one of the things that I want to point out also to add to your uh, point is this this bill is very comprehensive um, on top of the fact that it was uh, worked on with the Illinois Clean Jobs Coalition. So while I understand your concern to uh, when you talk about the utilities, utilities do not uh, play a role in the writing or the creation of this bill. And, the, and we're, we have not had conversations um, given everything that's going on. Uh, we plan on moving it forward. We're having discussions with the governor's office, and we're looking to move it in the spring um, to deal with a lot of those things. You know, by reforming the ca- capacity market, we'll save consumers money and protect the environment, especially if that FERC decision is what um, you're referring to uh, comes, because if the FERC decision comes, it will almost automatically raise uh, prices for our consumers. So what the bill would do uh, would take this market under state control so that we can reduce payments to uh, dirty, expensive coal plants and instead invest uh, part of uh, the bill that is cheaper, invest in renewable energy. And so that's what we're trying to do. Is, as Ann was saying, we're trying to combat that by taking it on as a, from a state perspective. From a state perspective. I mean, because it's my understanding that you know, this could be the largest electrical rate increase uh, in Illinois history yeah. under under those federal standards. Yes, if we don't if we don't act, it certainly will be. And regarding the utility issue that you mentioned, historically, it is true that the utilities have led conversations on energy, but that tide is turning for a lot of reasons. A lot of voters and constituents are focusing on issues like climate change. They're concerned about public health impacts of pollution. So this is really a driving issue. And I feel strongly that we are going to be leading the conversation. It's not about the utilities. The utilities needs are not my concern, moving this bill forward. So we are focused on an environmentally uh, friendly, uh, pro-renewable piece of energy legislation. And we're uh, committed to making that happen in the spring. So what, what are the obstacles that remain? Well, I would say to start, as Christina mentioned, this is a hugely complicated and comprehensive issue. So we are looking to do a lot of things in one package. There are pretty much three goals in addition to the equity piece Mm -hmm. that Christina outlined. Um, One of the goals is to eliminate the utilization of fossil fuel Mm -hmm. producing power plants, number one. Mm -hmm. Uh, Secondly, our goal is to uh, go to 100% renewable energy by 2050. And finally, this is a piece that kind of ties in. We want to utilize what's called beneficial electrification, which basically means let's find ways to electrify the transportation sector. Uh, recently, it's come out that the biggest contributor to climate damage and climate change is the transportation sector. So this bill would uh, reduce our reliance on fossil fuels for powering those um, electric vehicles, change uh, mass transit uh, options, rideshare options to um, electric vehicles, and provide um opportunities for municipalities to convert their fleets as well. So it's a very, very complex and comprehensive bill, and it takes work to get it done. Now, I mean, certainly from the transit aspect, I mean, I understand, you know, the goal of, of 
clean energy. But what where, where, what about the finances? What about the financial issues for, you know, converting something like the, the CTA to, to uh, total electrification? Uh, I mean, where where's the money come from? Well, I think this entire bill is based on the premise that if we reduce the way we procure energy by revamping how we use our capacity market, mm-hmm. by the time we throw in the uh, extensive energy efficiency measures, we're going to end up benefiting consumers across the board. Uh, there's a, a line out there that the cheapest energy out there is the energy you don't use. And if we reduce our usage, if we uh, pro prefer and prioritize the utilization of renewables rather than the fossil fuel preference that exists now, we will end up saving money. And those savings, in part, can go to funding those important components that you mentioned. I know some people are already, and and you, you, as legislators, probably got complaints, too, about people with electric cars that got got the big rate charge as part of the uh, the infrastructure package, and you know, there was a there's a balance there is is what it comes down to. And yes, there was a period of incentivizing, mm-hmm. but at the same time, they're using the same infrastructure that is a basically pay as you go with the gasoline tax, and that you know they're not paying the gas tax; they're they're charging their vehicles, but there is a price to pay. Yeah, I think it was just bringing equity for those that actually um, either have hybrid vehicles or have just gas-powered vehicles. It was that um, they are using the infrastructure, they are using our roads, our tollways, and it it is putting wear and tear. So when you're talking about rebuilding and investing in a lot of what we needed and passing that $45 billion infrastructure plan, which is much needed. I mean, it is much needed. I can tell you back in Elgin, there are bridges that really, and roads that just need an overhaul that... Um, it was just a part of being equitable. And uh, because they don't use gas, and, and they are using the road, we were trying to come up with a balance that um, those that have electric vehicles would also contribute to that, because they are using our roads and highways as well. And it was not the $1,000 that someone once proposed. That- <laughs> Thankfully. <laughs> we're speaking with State Senator Christina Castro, Democrat from Elgin, State Representative Ann Williams, Democrat from Chicago. I'm Rick Pearson. This is the Sunday Spin. Welcome back to your Sunday Spin. I'm Rick Pearson of the Chicago Tribune. Joining me here in the WGN Skyline studio is Democratic State Representative Ann Williams from Chicago and Democratic State Senator Christina Castro from Elgin. We're talking about the Clean Energy Jobs Act, which is uh, still under development in Springfield, uh, but got a couple of texts. Is the bottom line, is this going to cost me more money? Uh, One of the texters says, I already can barely pay my electrical bill now. No, I get it. We're pragmatically approaching this, and we recognize keeping uh, consumers from getting a rate increase must be at the top of the agenda. And that's why we're structuring the bill, the complicated uh, bill, to ensure that that doesn't happen. Right now in Illinois, we are paying um, for a premium because the federal government is subsidizing the fossil fuel plants, and that's because of how the capacity market works. What we want to do in the Clean Energy Jobs Act is ensure that the capacity market is run through Illinois and prioritizes Illinois energy sources. Right now, our energy sources include nuclear at the top of the list, coal, and then uh, finally, we have our um, 
uh, renewable energy sources are at the bottom of the pile. We want to ramp up the renewable energy sources and quit subsidizing the dirty coal, which is what's happening on the federal level. Between that and our uh, efforts on energy efficiency, we'll be significantly lowering the need to utilize the same amount of energy we're utilizing now, and that will result in savings. So that's that's the out goal. That's the top of the agenda. Um, and so uh, off the air, you said that uh, it's a matter now of, of getting working groups together and structuring structuring a very complicated complicated bill. Yeah, I think one of the things we, we've we've had conversations with the governor's office, and we are looking to start. You know, obviously, session starts at the end of January for us, and having those meetings and to discuss the path forward, how we're going to work on the bill. And we'll come up with, obviously, something comprehensive that obviously addresses a lot of things. But the biggest thing is, like as Ann was saying, by reforming the capacity market, you save consumers money and create a level playing field for renewable energy. Illinois can use those savings to invest in new renewable uh, development, energy efficiency, demand response, and energy storage, reinvesting some of the subsidies that now go to coal and gas plants to our cleaner future. And those who are low income will be able to access that. I think that's the biggest thing when you talk about equity is you have a lot of low income com- low income communities who cannot access this right now. And that is one of the things that I think is the biggest pillar is getting more access for that. So that way people can see a benefit at home instead of relying on expensive comment. And, and Rick, we are really excited uh, about conversations we've had with the governor's office. He's been committed since day one to addressing climate change on the state level. So I think that's going to really bode well for our chances of passage and having a, a successful session for clean energy. I want to switch gears here in the couple of minutes we have left and uh, move into the political arena here. Uh, my colleague at the Chicago Tribune, Ray Long, uh, recently uh, wrote a piece involving how a uh, longtime uh, ComEd lobbyist and the perhaps closest friend to House Speaker Michael Madigan uh, was part of a orchestrated effort of, of payments to uh, among lobbyists uh, to a, a man who was uh, basically told to get lost by uh, because of Me Too, Me Tooism, and the fact of this close allegiance between Mike McLean and Speaker Madigan has raised some criticisms about whether the Speaker has really really meant what he said about acknowledging that he was kind of late to the game and, and not recognizing the problem, but that, you know, he was working to take care of things. Uh, are you satisfied with, the, with what's going on here? Well, um, I share... Uh what I've heard from a lot of my colleagues, that it's very disturbing to read about these allegations, very troubling. But I will say we are not sitting idly by and just watching things unfold. In the past year, the women in particular in the House have worked really hard to make sure our workplace is free, not just from sexual harassment, from but from bullying of any kind. And we've taken a lot of tangible steps, and we've made a lot of demands of our workplace that we haven't seen in recent years. I'll just list a few examples. Um, Number one, we worked closely with the office to uh, implement uh, an investigation, an independent investigation by Maggie Hickey, who is well-known and well-regarded as a very strong, uh, uh, she was former inspector general, very strong voice on these issues. We then um, 
released the report publicly as a caucus, and I think that was a starting point to show where our issues were and make a plan to move forward. Uh, membership, and we're talking about rank and file membership here, also pushed for uh, a series of conversations with women working in and around the Capitol. What are your experiences? How can we do better? Because Sure, we hear about these stories in the media, but we hear a lot of stories offline, and a lot of us, even within the caucus, have had personal experiences. And we've been very moved uh, to take action and do what we can to improve our workplace. So, yes, the allegations are troubling. Like you, we're watching the investigation unfold. I have confidence that it will continue to evolve, and we'll continue to look at um, opportunities to take action as that happens. Is there a fear, though, that uh, how this reflects on the Democratic Party, since Madigan is chairman of the party? Well, sure, that there is. The speaker is chair of the party, but if you spend any time in Springfield, I think you're well aware that. This is not about one party. Um, We have had a few very high-profile stories in the news that are certainly of great concern, and that's why the House Democratic Caucus, uh, led by the women, have really moved forward with a lot of these, um, you know, opportunities to address some of the challenges we faced in our caucus. But certainly the issue of harassment is a capital-wide problem. I've worked in and around the Capitol for many years. Um, I've spoken to many people um, who have as well, and Unfortunately, it's something we have to address uh, in a broader way. But do you believe the speaker is committed to the, to the Me Too movement? I've personally had numerous conversations with him about um, what we've seen and what we've heard from women in and around the Capitol. And we'll keep pressing as a caucus to continue to address issues as they arise and to make widespread structural change in our caucus and to push for that Capitol-wide. Senator Castro, are, are you running for Senate president, by the way? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. Aren't uh, y'all? <laughs> <laughs> That's what I thought is, you know, there's there's 40 Senate Democrats and 39 candidates for Senate president due to uh, uh, President Cullerton's decision. Uh, have you made up a, a decision on this? I haven't. Um, actually, I've been speaking with a lot of my colleagues who are not running, uh, but also we have some great candidates out there. And um we will make a selection. We will nominate a new president. Uh, we've been told to be back in Springfield on Sunday, January 19th. Yes. Uh, so there's a lot of time between now and then to have conversations and, you know, to see who's a, a bet, the best fit to lead the chamber. I, like I said, we have quite a few candidates that are great candidates out there. Did this catch you by surprise? Actually, it did. Uh, I think when... Um, He's a jokester, as you might as well. And so he brought us all into caucus uh, at the end of veto and was kind of joking. He's like, I'm, I'm retiring. He said it with a kind of a smile. And we thought he was just, you know, playing right. along because it was a long week. And he goes, no, I'm serious. I'm retiring. And the, and the whole caucus went silent. Um, it was um, it was sad. Uh, it was sad for all of us. It was uh, surreal. Um, and he said, you know, his wife, Pam Cullerton, he had promised her that once he hit 70, and he did just a, a couple weeks p- right. prior, that it was he was going to step, step aside and spend more time with his family and grandkids. So all kinds of things to look forward to when legislature convenes in January. State Senator Christina Castro, thank you so much for joining me. State Representative Ann Williams, always thank you for joining me. Thanks so much for having Thanks us. Thanks for having us.